0: All right. Good morning again, everyone. I have the blessing of opening the word with you, not only this week, uh, but next week as well. Uh, Pastor Ryan is over at Mosaic Church in Joliet, preaching the word this morning so we can be praying for him. And then next weekend is his daughter Ellie's wedding. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Uh, If you haven't given them a hug and uh, prayed for them as well as it can be a stressful week, do that. This is such an exciting time for their family. So uh, whatever way you can support them this week, do that. So uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about a passage in Ephesians. But before we flip there, I have a question for each of you. Would each of you be content to live the remainder of your life exactly the same as you are today? Never change, never progress. You've made it. This is as far as you want to go. How about the world? You would be content if for the rest of your life, the world remained exactly the same. Never, absolutely not. It's easier to see other people's uh, issues rather than our own, right? Well, if you answered no to that, you're in the same company as the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, the Apostle Paul prays on behalf of the saints in Ephesus, a city that he has visited and and done some church planting in. He prays for them because he knows that each one of us needs change. And he knows that change is impossible without Christ, without his power. Whether you're a churchgoer or somebody who's never gone to church before in your entire life, everyone desires change. But the thing is, without Jesus... Every person will be in a cycle of hopelessness because change is impossible without Jesus. I'm not just talking about behavioral modification. I'm talking about true, lasting, heart-transforming, life-altering change. Paul talks about three things in this passage that are essential for change to happen in any of our lives and in anybody's life in the entire world. First thing is prayer. Prayer is an act of reliance, dependence, saying, Lord, I cannot do this. I need you. So I lift my requests up to you. The love of Christ. Without the love of Christ poured out for us on the cross, There is no possibility of change. And without his power that is given by the Holy Spirit, we will have no ability for that change to be sustained. So these three things are essential. The love of Christ is the catalyst of all change. Without the power of God, we are unable to change. And we lift our prayers up to him because he is the source of all change. So maybe you're a person who says, I have a list of things that I want to change in my life. Maybe you say, I've got a few big glaring things I want to change. Maybe you say, I am not only looking internally, but my loved ones, There, there are people in my life that I want to see their lives change and maybe you're like me and you can fall into the habit of saying i want this person to stop doing this i want this person to start doing this and it's about the doing it's about the behavior that we focus on but i think if we model our prayers off of what paul says we're going to start to be pray- start praying differently start praying saying lord give them the power to live differently lord captivate them by your love so that they would be motivated to live differently. Lord, let them see you more clearly so that they would see themselves more clearly. So this is a prayer that Paul offers on behalf of these people that he loves. His love manifests itself in prayer, as ours should as well for those whom we love. This prayer is at the middle section of the entire book. And it, offer, or it, it operates as, uh, as a transition. That's its function. It's transitional. It moves from the theological part, where we're talking about salvation... And we're talking about Jews and Gentiles being united together because there's only one true God. He's the God of all the world, whether people recognize it or not. How do we live together with people with different backgrounds? He talks about this and many other things. Being saved by grace through faith alone, united to the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we can walk in newness of life. And then he prays for them. Because in the last three chapters of the book, he talks about how we live this out practically. But he knows if I just give you the practical steps, the rules to follow after without praying that God would empower you to do it, you won't be able to. Maybe you're like me, and sometimes we can forget that that's the case. We become complacent in our walk with Christ and start to become reliant upon ourselves rather than trusting in him to accomplish what we need to and do what we ought to. So I think the Lord has something for each of us this morning. Over the next two weeks, we're going to really dive into this passage. So, You have all three points for the next two weeks. I want to give you a thesis statement that kind of summarizes in a clear, more memorable fashion what the three main points from this week and next are going to show us in this passage. The thesis statement is this, Jesus wants to transform our lives so that we can know his love and become like him. Jesus wants to transform our lives so that we can know his love and become like him. With that being said, let's just ask one more time. Go before the Lord in prayer and ask that he would do a mighty work in each of our lives this morning. So when I pray, I want you to be praying in your heart as well. Don't just listen to my words, but lift your heart up. You know what you need, as does he. Lift your heart up to the Lord with me. Lord, we come before you. You know our needs. You are a good Father who looks after us, protects us, desires the best for us. Lord, each of us is on our way. We have not reached the destination yet. We have imperfections in our life. We have bad habits. We have sin in our life. So help us to change. By your power for your glory pray this in the mighty name of Jesus amen. amen Ephesians chapter 3 starting in verse 14 the structure of this prayer is this in verses 14 and 15 Paul has kind of an introduction to his prayer then he has three main statements. This is what I'm praying for. And then he concludes, today we're going to go through the introduction, his first point, and get as far as we can through the second point. And we'll pick up where we left off next week. So let's read the introduction to his prayer. Kind of get ourselves running Before we get into our first point, which is going to start in verse 16, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. For this reason. Now, this is interesting because there are three main things that he's going to get into in this passage, but he says, For this reason. We have to pay attention. This is intentional. Why? Because the three things that we're about to dive into for the next week are connected and build upon one another. It's not just, I want you to have the power of the Spirit, and I want you to know the love of Jesus, and I want you to become more like Him. They're connected. It's, I want you to have the power of the Spirit to strengthen you so that you can understand the love of Jesus, and as a result, you will become more like Him. Do you see how that's different? So, this would be like going to Chick fil A. I don't know about you. I I wish Chick fil A was open. I'd go there for lunch today. Um, But it's the Lord's chicken, so I get it. Um, Gotta be off on Sunday. Uh, You go to Chick fil A, you order a sandwich, and you receive a sandwich you would be satisfied, very satisfied. You go to Chick-fil-A and you order a meal, sandwich, fries, and a drink, and they give you a sandwich, you are not going to be content. Why? Because you've paid for three things and you received one. So what I hope we gather from this passage is Paul doesn't just want us to have kind of a multiple choice Test on this. As long as you have one of these things, you understand the love of Jesus, you're good. Or as long as you're pursuing holiness, you're, you're good. These things all go together. You know, I think this is so important for us now, probably more than ever, as we're some 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross. Whether he comes back and we're raptured tonight... 10 years from now or 100 years from now, we're far closer to the end than we were back in the first century. Jesus says in the latter days, Matthew 24, verse 11 and 12, that because lawlessness will increase, love will grow cold. Think about how this is connected. And remember as well, he's not talking about the world. He's talking about in the church. Think about that. In the end days... Sin will increase in the church, and so the church's love will grow cold. That's not a powerful witness, is it? So how are those connected? If our lives are consumed by sin, if we're not pursuing holiness, like Paul is saying in their first point, the result will be we don't understand the love of Jesus. They're not captivated by it, and therefore we don't live like him. God is love, therefore... If we are going to love like him, we have to live like him. So this is important. For this reason, three things. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. He prays out to God because he knows that God is the only way these people are going to change. At the end of this passage, in verse 20, Paul says this. Now to him, the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or think. So you think that problem in your life, that thing that you're struggling to change with in your life, is too difficult for God. He says immeasurably more than you could ever ask him to do or think he's capable of. That is what he is powerful enough to do. And he is a God who is a good father who wants what is best for his children and hears our prayers. This morning as I was uh, laying next to Ezra because he couldn't sleep and I'm trying to be a good father myself as I'm nervous and stressed about the sermon coming and like, you know, I could be doing other things. I'm, I want to be with my, my little guy and I'm praying and the Lord puts this person on my heart. Um. I had the blessing of being a part of leading somebody to the Lord a couple of years ago in a way that I didn't even know about until just maybe six months back. This person had been calling out to the Lord, had been in church most of his life, had never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and was ensnared in sexual sin. That night he had... Enough of it. He had been trying to change and couldn't. And he called out to the Lord and said, God, if you are real, show me. The next day, we had youth group. This was a few years back. And I'm walking past this person who I didn't have many interactions with before. Before. And as clear as day, in my heart, the Lord puts on my heart the type of sexual sin he's struggling with. As clear as day. You know, and sometimes we just have random thoughts. And so I'm like, okay, we'll see. And I walk past him, and it's like a thousand pounds is on my shoulders. I say, okay. And I walk up to this person. I say, hey, man, you doing okay? Okay you been struggling with anything? No, 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 nothing. I so said, are you sure? I feel like the Lord put something on my heart. Are you struggling with lust and falling into it? No, 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 no. I thought that was the end of the interaction. Come to find out some months ago, that night he got down before the Lord and gave his life to Jesus. Because the Lord showed him, I hear you and I want to change you. And he's been released from that since then. The Lord has set him free. The Lord hears our prayers. He is an ever-living God. This is not just, you know, we pray because the Bible tells us. to. No, we pray because God is real, and he is the one powerful enough to set us free. Jesus didn't just come to forgive us of our sins, but to set us free from our sins. And so we pray to him. He is a good father. We see in this passage, something glorious as well because we see Paul's, in the New Testament, in the Bible as a whole,'s Trinitarian doctrine. The Bible teaches that God is Trinity. One God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In this passage, we're going to see that Paul prays to the Father that the power of the Holy Spirit might be given to us so that Jesus would dwell in our hearts through faith and that the the love of the Son would radically transform our lives. In this passage, we see the Trinity. Throughout this book in Ephesians, Paul focuses on how it is only by believing in Jesus that we have access to the Father. Read this with me. Flip back to chapter 2. Paul says this of the people in verse 12, before they came to know Jesus. He says, remember that you, before they came to know Jesus, placed their trust in him and, and their lives were saved by him. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the promises of Israel, strangers to the covenants, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. We were alienated from God, strangers of God. We didn't know him. We were separated from him by our sin. But by the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross, he makes peace with us who were his enemies. Could you imagine that? There are different wars going on in this world. And, and somebody is... is being attacked over and over again, and they do what is necessary to make peace and say, I want you to be saved. I want your sins to be forgiven. Everything you've done against me, I want to forgive. It's otherworldly. Without the love of Jesus, we can never be like that. But Jesus calls us to that sort of forgiveness as well, and we can have that sort of forgiveness and peace in our lives too because that is what he has done for us. Later on in verse 18 in chapter 2, it says, For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the same as what Jesus says in John 14:6: I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one comes to the Father in prayer but through Jesus. But he gives us unhindered, uninterrupted access to the throne of the king of the universe if we believe in him. Nobody enters into the gates of heaven except by belief in Jesus, who is the way. Not just says truthful things, but he is the truth and he is the life. You want true life, you must have Jesus. So, Paul prays for his people in Ephesus. Let's put up our first point. Remember, two weeks. So, don't get nervous because we're just on point one. Stick with me. (laughs) I know I can be long winded, but we'll trust that we'll get through this in two weeks. Let's read verses 16 and 17. Paul gets into the content of his prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, and then he continues on there into the next point. So our main point from this section is this. By the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants to radically transform and redirect our lives. By the power of the Spirit, Jesus wants to Transform and radically redirect our lives. You say my life is is kind of in shambles right now. My you, you don't understand, Stephen, who I am. Are you sure he can change me? Everyone have a pebble. If you don't have a pebble, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand, and the ushers will help you out and and get you a couple of them. Do you ever get a rock stuck in your shoe? (laughs) All right. Well, a lot more of you are going to have a rock stuck in your shoe because I'm going to ask you to put that rock in your shoe for the rest of the sermon. Hey, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. We can take our shoes off for a second. Because the thing is, whatever it is that you're struggling with in your life, whatever it is that you say, this is what needs to change in my life, it's not just like every once in a while I feel like I think about this or this. This hinders me. Sin hinders everything. It impacts everything. So, like, walking around with, your, with a rock in your shoe all day, it's going to be constant. It's always there. Your mind is always going to be on it. Especially, you get running really fast. You try and run a marathon with a rock in your shoe, you're going to get hurt. I'd just get hurt if I ran a marathon, but especially if there's a rock, a rock in your shoe. So, you see how something... Seemingly small can have such a major impact. It impacts everything. So is God able to change this thing that is hindering my life? Well, let's see. What does Paul pray for? He says that according to the riches of his glory. What does that mean? God's glory. How incredible is it? If you were to display it in front of us, we would all be incinerated. God says, nobody can see my glory and live. Moses on the mountain of Sinai asked to see God's glory, and he says, you can't handle it, Moses. I'll show you the afterburners. I'll tell you about who I am, my character, but if you see my glory, you will die. Imagine if God's glory was quantified in, in a treasure A storeroom of treasure. What would that look like? Innumerable riches. Paul says, I pray that in accordance with how rich God's glory is, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit. That's the sort of power that can be unleashed in your life with Christ in your life. There is nothing that is too hard for God. Nothing is too difficult for him. We see this time and time again. And we can live into the victory that Christ has already accomplished. He has defeated death. He has defeated sin. He has power over the demonic forces. And the same spirit that rose him from the dead, if you believe in Jesus, is within you and is the source of power for you to live out your Christian life. You see, when you're a Christian, it's not just about rules and doing your best to keep them. We tried that with the law of Moses, and it didn't work. But God had a greater plan all along. He needed to show us that just rules and regulations weren't enough to make a people who could live like him. They needed him within them in order to live like him. And so in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, he promises a new covenant that he's going to give through Jesus, we find out some hundreds of years later, a new covenant where he says, I'm going to take your heart of stone, which is not impacted by me, which, which nothing can penetrate through, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is, that is tender, and, 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 and my commandments can go into, and your life will be impacted by it, and I'm going to give you my spirit so that you will live out the desires I have for you and do the things that I tell you are best for your life. We need the Holy Spirit. That's the sort of power you can have in your life. So there is nothing too difficult for him. And this is why true change is impossible without Jesus. How do you try and do that on your own? My son's a funny guy. He's going to be a comedian when he gets older. Yesterday, we're sitting outside, and he says, Daddy, I want to go get the scissors and cut the grass. It's like, why? Why? Okay, so we get the scissors, and we're sitting there, and like, no joke, for like 10 minutes, we're cutting the grass, no difference. Like, you can't see anything. I'm like, what would this look like to actually, like, rather than using just like the trimmer, using scissors to do just the edges? It would take hours, let alone the whole grass. Take days. So much so that by the time you get done cutting the whole yard with scissors, you've got to go back to the beginning because other areas have already started to grow back. But in our backyard in 20 minutes, if I'm not holding them, because that's what he likes me to do when I'm I'm doing the lawn, I can get the whole backyard done in 20 minutes. You've got to have the right tools. Without the power of Jesus, lasting change is impossible. True, lasting, heart-transforming, life-altering change. My life is living proof of this. If you would have known me seven and a half years plus ago, you would not have liked me. I was not the same person. And it's all praise to Jesus that I am who I am today. I was a drug addict, I was an alcoholic. If you would have hung with me in college, you would have seen a belligerent fool. My life was committed to making a name for myself in the music industry. More than drugs and alcohol, music was my biggest lowercase g god. I lived my life for my own fame, in addition to many other things. But the thing is, I, I grew up in the Catholic Church. I had familiarity with who Jesus was, that he died on the cross for my sins. And my mom was saved when I was about 12, and we started going to a, a, a Bible-preaching uh, church that shared the true gospel, and I heard it, and I, I even claimed I believe it, believed it. But the thing is, it never changed my life because I had a misunderstanding of what the gospel was and who Jesus was. You see, I saw the gospel kind of like fire insurance. I'm a sinner. Yep, see that. I need forgiveness. Yep, get that. Don't want to go to hell. You need Jesus to go to heaven because you need your sins forgiven. Awesome. All of those are true. And praise God that that is an essential aspect of the gospel. But what I didn't want is for God to change my life now because I was pretty content living in my sin. But I didn't understand that. Honestly, I thought I was a true Christian. I really did. Shared the gospel with other people. Told them how it's grace through faith that you're saved. you got to believe in Jesus. It's through belief. I defend creationism in school. But I was not transformed in my heart. Until... My brother Sam shared with me a truth from Romans 6. In Romans 6 it says this. You're either a slave of sin or a slave to God. It's black and white. There's no gray area. You're on one side of the fence or the other. You can't sit in between. And you don't just need Jesus to forgive your sins you need Jesus to forgive you from the power, to free you rather from the power of sin. Well, how does this happen? Paul says this in Romans six. I'm going to flip to this because it's important for us to understand. Paul says this, verse seven: the one who has died has been set free from sin. This means we have two choices. We can wait until we die physically. Congratulations. You're no longer a slave to your sin because you're dead. And the unfortunate news, though, is that if you die and do not know Christ, what the Bible says in Hebrews is that every man is granted to die once and then to go into judgment. So it's too late. You're no longer a slave to sin, but now you've entered into the eternal judgment of God. So the second option is this. By believing in Jesus, you can be united to his death on the cross, crucified with Jesus, so that your old self is buried in the grave and with him you can be raised to newness of life, no longer in bondage to sin. Set free because you've died with him. This is exactly what the scripture says. Let me read it for you. Starting in verse 6 of Romans 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Newness of life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, your life can be changed, but you have to believe in Jesus first so that you can be set free from the bondage of sin. Without that, nothing else that follows in this passage is able to happen in your life. Our lives, Paul says back in our passage in Ephesians 3, must be rooted and grounded in love. This speaks particularly of the love of Jesus. What does it mean for our lives to be grounded upon his love? His love that was poured out for us on the cross must be the foundation of our life that everything else is built on. If it's just one of the floors, uh, you know, it's a, it's a skyscraper, and, and, and floor four has Jesus in it, but there are other things in my life that are more important. I, my life's not really founded on it. It's just kind of one of the things I partition and categorize on certain days of the week. That's not what he's saying. Founded on the lo- love and life of Jesus. I want you to just listen to these words in Ephesians 2, where Paul clearly explains what it means to have your lives transformed by the gospel. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, says this. For you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So it's not just that you had a sin problem, It's that you are dead, spiritually dead, no spiritual life, no capacity to do the things that the the Lord desires of you. Following after the prince of the power of the air, that's, that's the devil himself, who is working in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all formerly lived. In the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. This is not just a some people issue, this is an all people issue. Before believing in Christ, every person in this world is spiritually dead and needs to be brought back to life, which cannot happen by any human ability. So in verse four, it says, but God, everyone say, but God. But God God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So how do I get this spiritual life? How can I be raised from the dead? He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, so that no one may boast. You don't have to do anything. You need to admit that you can't do anything. You don't need to please him. You need to admit that you cannot please him. Because God gives the gift of salvation by grace. And grace alone. Grace is a gift. The meaning of grace is to give somebody something that they don't deserve. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve to go to heaven. We all deserve, myself most of all, deserve hell, deserve punishment, deserve judgment. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. A lot of people get the good works part of salvation on the wrong side of the equation. It's not God's grace, Christ's death on the cross, and good works equals salvation. It's God's grace by means of the cross equals salvation and makes me do the good works. Changes my life so that I live a new life. That's the gospel that saves. Is your life founded upon that? Our lives must be rooted in his love. This makes me think of the John 15 passage, the vine and the branches, right? So imagine a a garden, not my garden. Don't go in my backyard and look at my garden. It's more of a mud pit that I've inherited in our house that my son plays trucks in. Not this one, but you could even do it. In the dirt, you've got a plant that, that puts its roots into the dirt. And what happens? It is nourished, sustained, grown by the nutrients that come from the dirt, and this causes it to produce fruit. Our lives have to be not only founded upon the love of Christ, but rooted in the love of Christ because that is what sustains us and empowers us moment by moment. If our lives are founded upon or rooted in anything besides Christ, Our lives are destined to crumble, to collapse. Jesus is the only firm foundation. So this is how you receive Christ so that, as Paul prays, we can have this power in the inner man by means of the Holy Spirit so that our life can be changed. God, the almighty creator of this universe, if you believe in Jesus, dwells in you. It's not like he's in your knee or he's like, you know, in your hair, but he is within your soul. You are spiritually united to him, which is why your life will be transformed, which is why you have access to life-transforming power, which is why if you live, like Jesus, you're going to start loving like him. And God is invisible, so we need people whose lives are going to reflect his image, reflect his love, so that the world, which is in darkness, can see his light, so that the world, which cannot see him, can see him through us, who can make the invisible God visible by loving as he does and living like he does. This power of the Spirit is given to us in the inner man. This is transformation that happens from the heart, from the inside out. He says Christ needs to dwell in your hearts through faith. And I know it's an American cliche that we say, accept Jesus into your heart. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. What he's saying is Jesus needs to be on the throne of your heart. He is king. He is Lord Jesus needs to be, have the controls in the control center to direct you, to lead you, to guide you. Your heart is like a home. The doors are closed until you trust Christ with each area of your life. Give him the key. Open it up. Does Jesus have access to every corridor of your heart? Or are you withholding access to him? He says he needs to dwell in your heart through faith. By trusting in him, by belief, by your faith in him, you make him more and more of a permanent resident in your heart who controls your heart than a visitor or a vacationer, a stranger. And we increase in this throughout our lives. I just want to introduce where we're going next week. Our second point is this. Builds on the first. So the first point you have written is by the power of the Spirit, Jesus wants to radically transform and redirect our lives. Here's the so that. So that we might understand, live out, and experience his love Christian community if our lives are not transformed by the power of the Spirit by believing in the gospel we cannot understand the love of Christ lives will not be changed and we can understand so much of the love of Christ by reading the scripture but the love of Christ cannot be understood deeply in isolation Because if we are living in accordance with the commandment of Jesus to love one another as he has loved us, then we not only have a working head knowledge of the love of Christ from the scripture, but an experiential knowledge by our interactions with one another in Christian community. You can't get that anywhere else. That's why it is so important to be knit into a Christian community where you can be real and genuine and open and honest with people. Join one of our small groups and see what it's like. Because in opening your heart to people, you will experience the love of God through them and learn how to love sinful people like yourself. Because God continues to walk alongside you. Do you still have the pebble in your shoe? So, and I'm going to invite the worship team out. Though this pebble is small, um, we know that really the, the things we struggle with in our life are much bigger than what the pebble represents. Or we'd have just been able to get rid of them. These things are hard. On our own, we are incapable of getting rid of that pebble out of the shoe. But here's the thing. While we are not able to do it, Jesus has already carried not only your pebble that you're struggling with, but the sin of every single person who has ever existed. Peter says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. One pebble is too much for us to change on our own. But Jesus has already done what was necessary to not only forgive you for what you've done, but to free you from it so that you can have change in your life. That's love. That's love. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for the transformative power of your love. Lord, we would be nowhere without it. Lord, give each of us in this room the power to live a new life, Lord, if there's anybody in this room who has never taken this step to make the decision to give their life to you, I pray that today would be the day. I pray that they would wait no longer. Let them place their full trust in you and say, Lord, my life is yours. You can have it. You have far better plans for me than I could ever have for myself. You can change me. I've seen time and time again I cannot. Lord, my life is yours. I believe in you. I trust in what you've done for me on the cross. Forgive me for my sins. Free me from my sins so that I can live for you now and give you glory and spend eternity with you in God. pray that you would give each of us the desire to change. Because if we believe in you, we have the power to change already. But often we turn our backs to you and walk the other way. So Lord, I pray that you would work powerfully